And amen. Children are a blessing to us this morning. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Amen, amen, amen. Let us go before the Lord. Dear eternal God, our Father, we come to you today, God. We thank you and we praise you, God, for all that you do, God. We honor you, Father, for who you are. And we ask that you'll forgive us of our sins, that you'll cleanse us hearts from all unrighteousness. And that, God, we'll look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, God. And we realize, Heavenly Father, Lord, that we need you, Father. We need you in our lives, God. We need you, Heavenly Father, Lord, to direct us. We need your help. So we're asking this morning, God, that you'll move through your word, Heavenly Father, Lord, that your word might move and motivate us, God, to live a life that's more pleasing in your sight, a life of faith, God. We trust you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Before I get started, I just want to take this opportunity. I know that we have children singing and we have some guests with us. I want to welcome our guests again. Uh, we thank God for you. We thank God for your presence here. We don't take it for granted. There is a word from the Lord this morning. We've been in the book of, Jay, uh, excuse me, of, of John and we'll continue to be there. If you have your Bibles, turn to the fourth chapter of the book of John's Gospel. We're continuing the theme on evangelism and preaching on evangelism. Today we're going to kind of like do an overview. But I've got a study that's set up for this that's going to perhaps take a couple of weeks that we'll be teaching in Bible study. So if you really want to see the, get the full scope of what this is really about, come to Bible study. We're going to break it down. We're going to look at this text because there's a lot of good clues that we have when it comes to evangelism just in this one fourth chapter of John's Gospel. And so we're going to look at seven points during Bible study on what it means and how we are to evangelize. Amen? All right. Well, for, your, for the sake of time in the text, we're going to just read verses num, uh, verse number, starting at verse number seven, and we'll skip down. The Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, verse number seven, it says, Then there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest me, drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You skip down to verse number 15. It says, And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto him, Go call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast now is not thy husband. He said, is not thy husband. In that said, he thou truly. And the woman said, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. From this particular text, I'd like to take for this thought. He looked beyond her faults 
and saw her need. He looked beyond her faults and saw her need. The last few Sundays we've been dealing with a man named Nicodemus in chapter number three. Nicodemus and this woman could not be more different because one is a righteous, a pious, a well-respected, a scholar of scholars, a person of great influence. But on this hand, with the woman at the well, she is an outcast. She is one that has been rejected by society. As a matter of fact, the Bible does not even give her name. She's simply known as the woman by the well. Well, this, mo this morning, I would like to give her a name this morning, if you would. John 3, 16 says, For whosoever, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten saved, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I want to give her name. She's going to be Miss Whosoever. Because she applies to all of us. All of us fit the framework of both Nicodemus at times, as well as this woman at the well. Look at how they differ. Not only was Nicodemus respected, but he was a man. Nicodemus came at night, very secretive. It was a private meeting. But this woman comes in the heat of the day. It was a public display. But Jesus sets it up to where even in this public forum, her conversation is a private one between her and Jesus. Because in the text, Jesus said that I must go through Samaria. Now understand that Jesus is setting this whole conversation up with this woman. One of the techniques that we've learned in Bible study is that one of the techniques of evangelizing is conversation. It's starting a conversation. And that's exactly what Jesus does, but he isolates her. He gets her off to herself. The disciples have left and gone to look for food. Jesus is tired. The heat of the day is getting to him. And so he sits down by this well, which is in Samaria, the city of Sychar. This is the same place where Jacob gave a well to his son, Joseph. And no doubt that this is the same well that, that Jacob dug himself. And many a people benefited from the digging of this well. It has been a blessing to the children of Israel. And now it is being a blessing to the people of Samaria. Which leads me to tell you that, that God does not just bless folk like you. What, what, what we see here is we, we, see, we see God's inclusive nature here. Because up until this time, the text says that, that, that the Jew, I mean, the salvation was of the Jew first, 
and then the Gentile. In other words, God came coming to, he came to offer salvation to the Jews first. But what we see is they rejected it by Nicodemus. We, we, we don't know really from a text standpoint what happened with Nicodemus. We make our assumptions and we have a calculated belief that Nicodemus did repent and get saved. But with this woman, we know exactly what happened to her. We know exactly what her, her response was to this encounter with Jesus. Jesus didn't look at where she came from and what she did. Jesus didn't come with a very judgmental spirit on this woman. But Jesus came with a heart of compassion. And that's one of the things that the church is lacking today is that heart of compassion. For the outcast, the downtrodden. The people that are without hope. If there's anywhere you ought to come and find some hope, it ought to be in the church. If there's anywhere that you can find compassion, it ought to be here. So why are we so judgmental? Or, or, or better yet, why are we so avoiding the real issues? What's our problem? We're sitting on the gospel. We're sitting on the life-changing, transformative power in which God has given us. What good is it if we're not sharing it with anybody? What, what good is it if we're not doing like Jesus and we're not setting up those private meetings? We walk right by people every day. It's like we have in our minds the people we want to witness to, we want to evangelize. And it just takes a few moments. Listen, listen, look at here. Jesus comes to this well because why? Number one, he knew the woman was coming to the well. And what was the reason why the woman was coming to the well? Well, the Bible says she came to draw water. In other words, Jesus said that, listen, I'm going somewhere where I know people are going to come because they need something from that area. And then listen, if folk won't come to church, if you can't come to church, then you need to take church to them. We all need to take church to them. It's a part of my responsibility as well to take the church to them, to lay it out before them, to let them know that there is a better way. I don't come condemning, but I come in the spirit of love. I come with compassion because this is what the Bible tells us we're to do. I told you once before, you got to catch the fish before you clean it. Stop expecting people to clean up their lives before they come to Christ. God will do that. God will clean the life of a believer 
If you are a believer. You see, because once you come into Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in with you. It comes into you. And he begins the process of sanctifying the believer. Now listen, by all means, are we not, we're not to condone people's sin. That's not what I'm saying here. As we'll see in the text, because Jesus deals with this woman's sin. There's absolutely no way that you can come to Christ without dealing with the sin that's in the life of the person. Because we as Christians must call sin what it is. It's sin. But there is a bomb in Gilead. There is something that will help and wash away your sins. And it's called the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we must deal with this. Look at, look at here in the text. Jesus sits... And just like with any conversational evangelistic effort that we make, Jesus makes a request of this woman. She's about to get her water out the well. And Jesus makes a request. He said, give me drink. And her first, the first thing that she says, she recognized the fact that I'm a woman undone. There's two problems that this woman has right here. Number one, she's a Samaritan. And number two, she's a woman. Because in Jesus' day, men were not permitted to speak to women in public. That ain't, that ain't like today. Men were told that even their own wives and daughters, they could not speak to them in public. That's why in the Gospel of Corinthians, I mean, in the Epistle of Corinthians, uh, you know, Paul tells them this, women, if you have a question, wait till you get home and ask your husband at home. Because they weren't permitted to speak to women in public. Now, you can say what you want to say. You can get upset about it. But that's just the way it was back then. Secondly, she was a Samaritan. There was a gender difference, but now there's a cultural difference here. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. There's no way on God's green earth that Nicodemus would have had the same conversation with this woman. But here you see the creator of the universe, the one who is the righteous of righteous, the king of kings, sits down with this woman who he should not be having a conversation with, and he engages in a conversation with her. Why is that? Because Jesus is not locked into tradition. He, he's, not, he's, not, he's not locked into the normal to ways of that society of that time. He realizes that, 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 that if an ox falls into the ditch, that I'm going to violate the Sabbath and get down there and get the ox out the ditch. This is the same thing. This whole thing about men not speaking to women was a cultural thing of the time. And so Jesus looks beyond that. 
He, he looks beyond the differences of her being this Samaritan and him being a Jew. He looks beyond the fact that she's a woman and he sees a need there. And so he said, give me to drink. And she said, we don't have anything to do with you. He said, listen here, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him for that drink. Because the water that I can give you, you'll never thirst again. Now, now, now listen, let, let, let's clean up some things from a literature standpoint here. When he's talking about you'll never thirst again, he's not saying that once you drink of this water that you'll never be thirsty again. But he said that it'll be a, a river of springing up. It'll be a constant spring of water. You don't have to go and dig for the water anywhere. It's going to be down in your belly and it'll be flowing up. It'll satisfy you. And we're, conti we're to continuously drink from the water of God's word. That, that's why it's critical and it's, it, that, that, that we come to Bible study, that we come to Sunday school, that you might be able to re drink from the well of which God has given you. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you and it really should compel you to come and get and drink from that water. This woman still did not get it. She said, Jesus, you don't have nothing to dig with. You, you, you don't have any water pots. Where, where are you going to get this water from? And she still did not understand the significance of it. Much in the same way, the same way with us, most of us don't really understand the significance of God's word. You see, because God's word is here to cleanse us. It's by faith that we trust in the written word of God. It's, it's by faith that we trust in the rhema word of God. It's by faith that we trust in the spoken word of God. It's the word of God that cleanses and transforms our lives. It's when you come and you sit and you learn what the word of God has to say concerning your life or our life. Because before I come and preach this to you, I'm preaching it to myself already. I, I know how much I need God's word in my life. I, I realize that I need a steady diet every day of God's word in my life. I realize that. And when I miss it, I find myself with this thirst that's coming and I have to get back into God's word and get more of his word that I might be able to satisfy the thirst in which I have. It's always there. Holy Spirit is always convicting. It's always letting me know that, hey, listen, there's something missing. So this woman didn't get it. Jesus went on. He said, the word, this, this, this water that I give you is a living water. It's alive. And all of us need water to live. Even in our natural city, you can only go about three days without water before you die. 
How long can you go without the word of God before you die? Before you let the circumstances of this life swallow you up. Because when you're saved, you've been saved for eternity. God saves us for eternity. But there can be some difficulties in life if we do not get in his word. If we do not understand his word. And so you need to come to the well of God's word. It, it, it's, it's not just enough just to hear it. It's, it. it's not enough just to memorize it. We got to do it. I, 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 told, him, I told him in Bible study, I said, listen, this is what it really comes down to. It comes down to having the faith to obey God. That's what it really comes down to. When you have God's word before you, it's having faith enough to obey what the word says. To put off your emotions and what you want and what you think and what you want to do. No, it's all about what God wants for you to do. Until we stop chasing after these selfish ambitions and things that we want to do and things, see, have things come out the way we want them to come out. Instead of resting in God and knowing that he is full able, well able to satisfy every thirst that you have. Because we're all thirsting for something. Listen, and the woman said, and said, Are thou greater than Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Now here, this is what, this is what the woman is doing. See, this is, this is psychological right there. That's why you have to be prepared when you go out to evangelize. Because what she's doing now, she's saying that, listen here, you, you know, we have a shared interest, the Samaritans as well as the Jews. And that's, that is that, that, that Jacob is both of our fathers. So, so, so I can't be that bad off. I can't be that bad. If, I, if I'm connected to the patriarch Jacob, I can't be that bad off. And so Jesus begins to get on her in verse number 15. He said, when she asked, she said, give me this water. He tells her that this is living water that's springing up to everlasting life. Verse 15, it says, and the woman said unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She still is not getting it. This, this, this is metaphorical here. This is not a literal water that I'm talking about. You don't have to come draw this water. This water is deep down in the side of you. And so then he calls her on the carpet. He said, go call your husband. And this is a problem. Because the first thing she does is she lies. But she tells the truth. She says, I have no husband. The intent was to deceive Jesus. But she can't deceive Jesus. Jesus sees everything in much of the same way we can't deceive him. Be, 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 be careful what you come to God with. Make, make sure that when you come to God, you're coming honest with him. See, what she really should have said is that I don't have a husband right now, but I'm shacking with somebody. That's what she should have said. 
Because that's exactly what was taking place. Jesus said, well said, you'd say you have no husband. He said, the fact of the matter is you didn't have five husbands. Now, I don't know what kind of woman this was. Either this woman just has a history of just picking bad men. Or there's something wrong with her. Take your choice. There's no other choice there. You didn't have five men. And you've divorced, are they divor all five of them have divorced you? There's a problem there. There's a real problem here. Here's, here, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is getting to the root of the matter. He's not concerned about any type of exterior. Jesus wants to know what's wrong on the inside of you. He's getting to the root cause of her problem. And the, and the, and the root cause is that, that, that she has some relationship problems. She has a problem in her relationships. And Jesus calls her out on this. He does not sweep it under the carpet, but he brings it to the surface. Understand that there's nobody there but her and Jesus. So he's not making a spectacle out of it. This is between her and him. This is a private conversation between the two of them. And listen here, until you, as an as unregenerated, unsaved person, if you're unsaved in here, until you get to the root cause of what your real issue is, until you get to the problem that's on the inside of you, you'll just be a church-going individual. God wants to deal with that what's on the inside of you. He wants to heal that on the inside of you, that hurt, that pain that you experience, that you're going through. And he cannot do it if you keep denying that it's there. Before you can come to Christ, you have to admit that there is a problem with me. It's not my mother. It's not my father. Ain't nobody else. God, it's me. I'm the one that's messed up. And until we come to that reality, that I'm jacked up, that I'm messed up, and God, I cannot fix myself. This woman knew she couldn't fix herself. She tried five times already. There was nothing that she was able to, to do to fix herself. And perhaps this man that she's living with, maybe she had given up on marriage at that point. I done blew it five times. I ain't, I'm not doing it again. So she... she, she reduces herself to just living with a man. She's shacking, as the old folks used to say. Unmarried, she's become content. She's pacified, because she's certainly not satisfied with her life. Now she wouldn't be exposing herself like she is to Jesus. Nowhere in the text do you see that she tries to deny anything that Jesus says to her. But she comes to this conclusion. She said, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And as we get later on in the text on next week, you'll find that he was exactly right. 
in his assessment of her, and she left and told the people that were living in her town that this man told me everything it is about myself. Now, now, now we don't know how, if, if, if this, this conversation went any more deeper than, it, than, than we have in the text here. But I understand the fact that Jesus touched on a part of her life that was dear to her. And understand that that's what God wants to do to us. He wants to touch those areas that we've covered up. Those areas that, 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 that we are ashamed of. Those, those areas that we've hidden from everybody else. God wants to touch those areas. He wants to develop in you a spirit of obedience unto him. And until he deals with those areas, until he begins to heal those areas, then we're just lost. That's this woman's problem. She was lost. But Jesus looked beyond the fact that she was a woman. He looked beyond the fact that she was a Samaritan. He looked beyond the fact that she didn't understand this new birth. He looked beyond the fact that she had five husbands. He looked beyond the fact that she was shacking with a man and he saw her need. And I'm so glad that we serve a God that looks beyond our faults and can see our very needs. I'm glad that God does not hold our sins against us anymore, that he forgives us and he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness and then he begins to heal us from the inside out. I'm glad about it. You see, because I needed that. I needed God to touch those inward parts of mine. I, I, I needed God to fix some things that I couldn't fix in my life. And here's the good news. God is still working on me. He's still correcting some things and working some things out in my life. I have not arrived yet. But I'm on my way. I'm still moving forward. I'm still coming to the well where I can get refreshment. When I can get nourishment. I'm still coming. And that's my challenge to you. Keep coming to the well. Keep getting refreshed because it's in the midst of all of this that we see the glory of God in our lives. When God transforms our lives from these dead folk to living in his light, living in his love, living in his peace and his joy, his compassion. I was dead. Know my way to hell. Oh, but if it had not been for God. Who was able to see something in me that he could use. It's because of him. It's not because of me. I benefited from Jesus Christ and him coming on my behalf. He loved me enough that when he seen me, he said that there's something that I can work with, that I can do with his life. 
And it wasn't until I submitted my life to him. It wasn't until I said, yeah, I've had enough of trying to patch up this old life of mine. I had enough of hiding, not showing my true self, being ashamed. Whereas now I can stand in joy because I know that it's not because of me, it's because of what he did for me, about how he transformed my life. And that's what Jesus did for this woman. And even though we don't see him present the gospel right here because the gospel had not been lived, he had not gone to the cross. We've seen the transformation power that happened in this woman's life. Much in the same way with us, God has transferred our lives by the cross, by our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us over 2,000 years ago, how he suffered, bled, and died for us on an old rugged cross, how he gave himself for us. How he sacrificed himself, how he willingly gave himself for us. It was love that compelled him to do it. It was love that compelled him to keep on going every step of the way. It must have been hard for Jesus to march up the Via Della Rosa to Calvary's Hill. It was difficult because he had a crown on his shoulder and he was marching up the Via Della Rosa, gave his life for us. They laid him down and they nailed him in his hands, nailed him in his feet, pierced him in his side, put a crown of thorns on his head, suffered blood and died for our sins, gave up the ghost and he died. Took all of our sins upon him. He died, I tell you, on our behalf. Because of us. Not because of his own sin, but because of our sin. He died for us. He was buried in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. Yes, he looked beyond my faults. He saw what I needed. He knew that I needed Calvary's cross. Lord, thank you for seeing what I needed. Not holding my sin against me. Why? Because you died for my sins. You gave your life for my sins. And right now he's sitting at the right hand side of the Father. And every time you and I sin, and the devil comes and accuses us, he shows him the cross. He said, but I died for that sin. I gave my life for that sin. Yes, I know that they have a whole lot of faults, but I gave my life for their sin. Sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Washed away by the blood of Jesus. I'm free. I'm free. He's coming back again for a church without spot or wrinkle. I'm looking for that day that he comes back to set up his kingdom. I'm waiting on it. I know that Israel is going through some trouble right now over there in the Middle East. But God is still in control. Israel still has a place to play in the end time prophetic of the word. And God's going to bring it to pass. But he looked beyond my fault. He saw my need. What about you? Amen. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. God is willing to do it. He's willing to do it. If you would just come. God has so much for you. So much he desires to do in your life. If you find yourself thirsty and you can't quench your thirst, 
This is the place to come. Is there one? Jesus, Jesus. Yes. Savior. Savior. Is there one? Jesus. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Uh, the interesting thing about this text comes in on, on next week because we'll see the profound effect that this conversation with Jesus had on not just her life, but it had a profound effect on her entire community. And this is what I've been talking about. It's not just about us that's sitting in these pews, but it's about everybody that you connect to. It's about the people that's in your household, it's about the people that live on your street. It's about the people that you go and work with every day. These are the people that we try to affect. We, we, we want to encourage them to come to Christ. That's our goal. That is our goal. That is our objective. And this came from God. This did not come from man. This was the whole method of the Great Commission. This is, the, this is the meaning of it. Not that just because we know it, we got to do it, we got to take it out. So come back next week and get part two. And we'll see how this all connects. And we'll see how God wants us to respond. Come to Bible study. We're going to start uh, from, from verse number one and we're going to wake, work our way down. Like I said, there's seven points of evangelism that I want to teach you from this text that we might be able to learn. I told you, one of the reasons why we are not going out just yet, because we're not ready. We're going to get where we're getting there. We are. Trust me, we are getting there. We're getting there. So come on out to Bible study that we might be equipped. Amen? All right. If our hearts are satisfied and we know that Jesus Christ is Lord, please stand to your feet. We're going to ask all those that desire prayer come down to the throne of grace. Is that Reverend Dwayne Slappy I see back there? Hey, my brother, how you doing? All right, God bless you, sir. From the New St. Luke Missionary Baptist Church. Amen, amen. <laughs> Thank you. Sister Willis, how you doing? God bless you. Amen, amen. Let us look towards heaven. 
Dear eternal God, our Father, we come to you this morning, God. We thank you. We praise you, God, for all that you do, Father. We honor you, Father, for who you are, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us this well of water that is springing up unto everlasting life, God. We ask, Heavenly Father, Lord, that we will consistently drink of that water, Father, knowing, Heavenly Father, Lord, that it is what builds our character and it is what will drive our conduct, Father. We bless your name today, Father, for who you are. We bless you for your word, God. And God, we know, we trust and believe that your word will not turn, return unto your void, but that God, it will accomplish that which is set forth, God. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these, your people, God. I pray that you will touch them right now in the name of Jesus, Father. That God, you know what they stand in need of, God. All of us have our separate needs, Heavenly Father. And so God, we're asking right now, in the name of Jesus, that Lord, you move right now upon our hearts and our minds. Make us disciples, God. Because disciples go and make disciples, Lord. So God, we're praying, Heavenly Father, Lord, that the spirit of evangelism will get down deep inside of us, God. That we might share your word, Heavenly Father, Lord. That we'll have compassion, Lord. That we'll remove the judgmental spirits in which we have, God. And understand that Christ is for everybody. That there's no one that escapes the love of God. So, Lord, we're praying right now, Father, that you'll teach us how to love like you love, God. To walk like you walk, Father. We're asking that you'll touch, Father God, look upon these, your people. Those who are breathed, Heavenly Father, Lord. We ask to go with Mother Haynes and the Haynes family, God. We ask that you'll touch Sister Samuel, Sister Gwendolyn Ross, and the entire family, Heavenly Father, Lord, as they mourn the death of Mother Haynes' brother, Father. Pray that you would touch that family, that church family down there as well. That, God, you bless them, Heavenly Father, Lord. And that it will be a true celebration, God. God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for Sister Odessa Willis, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we laid or had the memorial for her son on yesterday, God. I'm praying, God, that you'll continue to strengthen her, Father, for this journey, because that's exactly what this is. This is a journey, God, that you would touch her, Father, that you would bless her, that you would keep her. We pray for Jalen as well, Heavenly Father, Lord, and the entire family, God. This is a difficult situation. I pray for his son as well, Father. His name is Zachariah. I pray that you would just touch right now in the name of Jesus, God. Look upon them, Father. And Father, all Heavenly Father, Lord, Sister Kaufman, Heavenly Father, Lord, as she prepares to lay to rest her, her daughter, Father. And we know, Heavenly Father, Lord, that we're seeing that more often now. Where parents are burying their children, God. 
So God, I'm praying that you would touch these mothers, God. Give them strength, Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, renew their hope, Heavenly Father, God. Be that strong tower for them in this time, Father. We ask, God, that you'll look upon everyone that is bereaved today, Heavenly Father, Lord, dealing with the loss of a loved one, Father. Even those, Heavenly Father, Lord, that have passed, months have passed on, God, but, Lord, they're yet still grieving, God. Years have gone by, Heavenly Father, Lord, but their hearts are still hurting, God. I'm praying that you'll give them strength, Father. Look upon our sick and our shut-in list, God. We ask that you'll bless every name that's on there, Father. And God, we'll ask that you'll bless every name that's not on there, Father God, that have not come and said that they have some type of sickness, Father. Lord, we ask it in the name of Jesus, God. Now, Father, bless us as we depart from this place. Go to our homes, Heavenly Father, Lord. We ask that you'll bless us all throughout this week, Heavenly Father, Lord. And not just be blessed, but, Lord, that we might be a blessing to someone, God. God, I thank you for these the preachers that you have around me, God. I thank you so much for them, God. And all that they do, Heavenly Father, Lord. I'm asking you, God, that you would just touch them right now in the name of Jesus. Pray for the deacons and the mothers and the ushers and the choir members and his children, God. I thank you so much, God. And I honor you today. We bless your holy name today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and thank God. Now may the grace of God, the love of Jesus, and the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit may it rest, rule, and abide with us now, hence and forevermore. Let every heart sing. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you today.